running out of the weeds, you found it. The Japan What Podcast. Blowing hot air to the back end of Tokyo. I'm your co-host, Matt Bigelow. And I'm Tom Molesky. We bring you the inner workings of Japan with an outsider's perspective and zero insight. Zero insight guaranteed, my friends. None whatsoever. We're done with the insight. Not even a smattering. Hey, you know that yes. uh, in Japan we got all these crazy products? Um, in general or now endorsing our podcast? Oh, not endorsing our podcast. Okay. Right? Yeah, we, we need to get know. some sort of sock company. <laughs> some kooky sock company. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a, we topped the list of kooky products. Uh, yeah, like kooky collectibles. Um, my uh, teacher had recommended, I was throwing away a lot of things. One of my, and my uh, Japanese teacher said, why don't I get onto, uh, was it Mercari or Medicari? And it's just because somebody needs an online platform where people sell their stuff in a video format. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, or just post their stuff on a, it's like an eBay type of thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Basically an online store of some sort, but, um, there's so many collectibles that come out with like regularly with, um, as some sort of promotion for a food product or a coffee or a drink or a snack or whatever. And like, there's so much to collect in Japan that, and there's probably one person trying to get every version of it. So yeah, there's so many, if you have any of those, it's like, what the hell sell it? It, it probably will cost you less than throwing it away. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, um, she was reasoning with me. She's like, there's probably somebody that would buy it no matter what you have. Well, listen to this. Yeah. For summer 2020, Kikoman, the ah, yeah. soy sauce company mm-hmm. is releasing a soda flavor, soy milk beverage and a soft gelatine made with agar. Kikoman recommends taking a few extra steps to enjoy their two new soy milk beverage flavors and new ways for a delicious summer treat. For their soda flavor, they recommend freezing the pack. And for a refreshing soda flavor, soy sherbet dessert. For the other flavor, they recommend heating it up on a medium heat with a bit of gelatine, then putting it in the refrigerator. That's wild. Um, But it it, it almost... If you've lived in Japan for a while, it doesn't raise that big an eyebrow. Like everybody, they always, there's always um, a big producer trying a um, a new flavor that nobody's tried before. So soy sauce flavored soda, I wouldn't drink it. I Actually, no, that's not true. I would try it. I try it once just for the hell of it. Just a conversation starter at, at, at work. Hey, I had some soy sauce soda. How about you? That's the thing you do or bring it as a gift, put mm-hmm. it on a table at a party and people start talking about it. Yeah. I mean, and then guy, you drink it. No, you drink it. Go, no, no, you do it. You know, kind of, kind of feeling. But so I'm not, I think the one, the flavor that surprised me the most, Japan's kind of the king of this. Um, I think it was garlic lamb flavored caramels. That's the Whoa. the craziest one I've heard. <laughs> or how about Baby Star Ramen um, caramel ice cream? Yeah, yeah, I could. <laughs> ramen, yeah, I could almost see that though. Like nowadays, if somebody said, "Oh, you know, there's mochi flavored ice cream," I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, <laughs> that's like it's not like two opposing forces in flavor. So I'm like, yeah, I could see that working. 
No kidding. Yeah. So there we go. It sounds disgusting, though. Why is a soy sauce company making soda-flavored snacks? Anyways, um, before we move on, I uh, yeah. I wrote an essay this week, taking taking time for the coronavirus, and I put it up ah, on, the, yes. on the blog. It's about finding Mr. Optimists. Rogan. Oh yeah, yeah no, it was about Mr. Uh, Rogan moving from yeah. uh, from YouTube and iTunes basically to Spotify. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's kind of freaking out about the censorship on YouTube, and Google basically is a, a, going to become a biopharmaceutical company. Really? Okay. And so that's why they um, the YouTube is censoring all of these doctors, which is kind of weird, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Like no, hear, I agree with the that. the doctors, and these doctors go onto YouTube going, um, this way of doing things isn't right. You're banned. We'll trust Bill Gates, he, but he's not a doctor, but he has a vaccine, and uh, we happen to invest in his company. You know, So Rogan has decided he's not really into – it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. People should be able to hear other people and make a decision for themselves. I think yeah, that's what he's I, thinking. I, I, I was actually listening to that um, discussion between, uh, was it David Pakman and uh, Rogan um, on his last uh, his last interview? And it, it wasn't as confrontational as, as people were making it out to be. Like he was even kind of sympathizing and saying, you know, this is all of this is new frontier. I can't necessarily blame anyone, but I do think it's ridiculous that you can post something about a flat the, like a flat earth theory, but you can't actually post something about real scientific data or even debating it. And um, I think that's like, he didn't come down hard on YouTube, but he just didn't want to be a part of it. And, you know, and then there was the financial offering Spotify was giving. I mean, who would turn that down? Yeah. And I remember five years ago on uh, YouTube and, and Rogan, yeah. they, they could just th- put videos up and pe- people would watch them and then go to the actual video itself and maybe give it some views. But these days, yeah. the censorship and the AI monitoring is so fast and rampant mm-hmm. that you, you're not really sure what you're negotiating with. Yeah. And it's only going to move in that direction. Yeah, right. It's and, only going to get worse from here. And YouTube is kind of trying to become much more official as well. That's why they're like, we only follow the COVID advice from the World Health Organization. That's the only way to get the official data. And then you look at the World Health Organization, you're like, this looks like a Chinese front with a the head of it that doesn't really know what he's doing. And then all yeah. these doctors are going, this way is wrong. Like, you can't trust these doctors, but you have to trust these appointees, you know? So... Yeah, um, yeah. When you think about moving down that road uh, years and years to come and trying to get bigger and bigger while you're at it, I think mm-hmm. Rogan is trying to set a precedent saying, I'm going to, I want a space. I don't want to be everywhere. Yeah. Um, he's not, he's very even handed about it, I have to say. He's not um, aggressively pursuing it, but he has the power. I mean, he he commands that power and he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. You know, um, if you hear Alex Jones's version of it, you know, Rogan's declaring war. But when you listen to him talk about it, he's like, no, I get it. I get how difficult this could be and where you draw the lines is hard to. But but, you know, I, it's reached a point. I've reached a point where I just don't want to deal with this anymore. I know. I saw that uh, so I popped up somewhere. Alex Jones yeah. is declaring war. Oh, no, yeah. Rogan, on a, uh, Alex Jones says Rogan is declaring war. Then I read the article. I'm like. There's yeah. nothing about declaring war in this, yeah, right. in this article. Right. Where is where is the declaration of war? It's like, no, nah, I just want to do something else. Yeah, 
Jones is a very good hype man. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But uh, I'm I'm Canadian, so I yeah. There's a, there's and the, he's from Texas, I believe. So yeah, for me, Alex Jones represents a type of Texan. A type of American, yeah, yeah, um, yeah in general, yeah, I think so. Sure, I mean, uh, and I think um, Just once it goes to all sp- the time, shooting guns, not trusting anybody. <laughs> well, it's a good strategy in general because they were they were saying that um, maybe on Spotify the f- maybe the first guest would be Alex Jones, and you know that the views for that will go through the roof. Yeah, and the more he builds up, kind of the opposite of what Joe is, the more people will get interested. The more controversy he can build about it, um, yeah, the more people will have to check it out when it finally comes out. And you know, it's good for everyone except YouTube, basically. Yeah, I, and a lot of people see what YouTube is doing, and they they're like, I don't know, I don't see this going. And that's what I was writing about in my blog, which is about finding optimists. And if you're Mm -hmm. always including yourself and your product and everything solely or mostly exclusively on a huge platform with billions of monthly active users, the optimists probably get drowned out. But if you can focus a team of people who are focused on one thing and it's positive moving upwards, then you can achieve great things. And that's kind of what yeah. the blog post is about. And it's something that I think everybody's been thinking about because, you know, we've all been using Facebook and a lot of people have been using YouTube. I don't really use YouTube that much. I found it not really um, beneficial to me. But uh, being an early Facebook user, basically for me, Facebook is the same as it's always been. You post your pictures, you reach out and message somebody. But the Facebook back end has grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. Yeah. And it hasn't right. really fed me anything since then. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I'm wondering, well, how how does the, Zuckerberg has gone from my friend to a CEO mm. to a world privacy czar? Right. Yeah. I, yeah. It's kind of strange how that's happened. I'm still in the same place. Yeah. But all of these people have soared to these epic proportions in our society and history. But yeah, I'm yeah. not really benefiting from that. And a lot of people are kind right. of going, why don't I just go back to having smaller groups? I don't, I don't need 50 soccer moms monitoring my crazy ideas. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's also if you're an entrepreneur and you, you know, like a, in some cases a musician, you know, you just want your music to reach as many people as possible, then yeah. But if it's just, um, if you're using it as some sort of social status measure, I, I think you're you know, that's just the wrong way of looking at it and you shouldn't be pursuing it as much as, as you are. But, um, in some, you know, it it really depends on what facet you're, you're pursuing. Exactly. So if anybody's interested in the blog, it got some good hits. Uh, it's up on my website, MatthewPMBigelow.com, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-P-M-B-I-G-E-L-O-W.com. Yeah. Check it out. Check it out. So, um, Going to a, a little bit of a more positive, actually, than uh, the the media AI war um, <laughs> was. Uh, <laughs> the, the blog is positive. I'm trying to be positive. Well, no, I know. I mean, it is finding optimists. You're yeah. right. Absolutely. But I was just thinking about Rogan and Alex Jones. Um, 
Tokyo apparently is now the last uh, count. There were only three confirmed cases uh, in the last day of the coronavirus. Yeah, the coronavirus. And um, in Chiba, it's actually yesterday was zero. So it does look like if it's not, it will the lockdown will be lifted in by June, if not earlier. And uh, I was kind of curious on your thoughts of uh, what do you think we've learned from any of this now that we might start a normal life, our normal lives back again? Yeah, I've learned not to. Uh, I've, I've learned to find the official information by myself, and it really is going to a few different um, websites with with accurate government data on them, and analyzing the data because I can read charts. I don't need to be I don't need an expert to tell me what a chart means. Um, so I've been trying to avoid media scandal and focus on data to interpret the crisis correctly. Okay. That's I've learned that as well, but I think more less from the actual crisis and more from you <laughs> that I've learned that. <laughs> well, when we think about it, yeah. um, the information I've brought has been consistent. Right. It's been accurate. Yeah. It hasn't I, I don't feel like I've had to apologize for saying anything or or blowing yeah. up something, you know, uh it, I mean right. exaggerating details. Um I've learned really not to tr- to trust what's coming out of China and the um, refocusing of supply chains is a Mm. necessary action that the corporate world needs to undertake to avoid um, having these bottlenecks, right? And Wuhan, as we talked about, uh, uh, too much pharmaceuticals, IT equipment, security equipment, car equipment um, were being made in that one city. And then the uh, one government can just come in, shut everything down, and now yeah. the your supply chains from a different country are mm-hmm. being kind of taken over by a by a country that lies mm-hmm. about and destroys it, its evidence in regarding the the coronavirus. So yeah, that, yeah, that's a huge lesson. Like that's a that's a mind blowing, shocking realization that the corporate world is now trying to undertake. Yeah, yeah, you it, like half a world away, you know. A butterfly wing, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> throws the rest of the world into chaos. It's <laughs> that's a perfect example of that, of that what what we usually associate with a silly analogy. Yeah, yeah. the the butterfly flapping its wings in in yeah. Australia. Yeah, it was just in a wet market. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It wasn't a it wasn't a butterfly. It was a bat. Yeah, right. So, it was a bat wing. <laughs> <laughs> instead of yeah, a, 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 a hurricane, ahead, it's a tsunami because it was in a yeah. soup. If yeah, you believe right. that theory. <laughs> it was a pangolin's wing that anyway. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Have you learned anything on a personal level though? Um as much as like we're talking about the grand stage of economics and and um the the pandemic. How about personally? Have you learned anything? Personally, not not really. Not that I can think of. Um, I just try to avoid Negative people is, I think, going back to the blog post. Yeah, you yeah. have to be able to find people bringing you up, especially yeah, in yeah. these type types of areas. Yeah, for sure. That's um, I, I agree. Like that can, especially 
things compound. I guess that's one lesson too. Things compound very easily. So if you're already in a kind of a more diminished uh, mindset because of this, if something else negative hits you, it just makes you exponentially more depressed. Yeah. Okay. How about this? One thing yeah. I've learned to regarding this crisis, because I have a quite a lot going on in my personal life that I'm not going to yeah. get into, okay. is I've I vowed yeah. not to panic, and I vowed to myself to keep my head straight, yeah. so that the the influence of a pandemic didn't yeah. make me rush to make decisions out of folly. Okay. So I, I promise to myself, no matter what happens, you're going to keep your head on straight. You're going to focus on the details and uh, you're going to ride this out and you're going to be smart about it. And I, yeah, I, I, that's what I vowed to myself. Yeah. So I kind of had to turn off all my emotions sure. and uh, just uh, be a man about it, I guess, is one way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. How um, about you, Tom? What did you learn? Well, um, it, this varies for a lot of people. Just personally, I found that any kind of change is going to elicit a small amount of panic in me. So even if it's a positive change, just that it's not the same reliable thing I do, it's going to kind of be like, oh, my, what, what am I going to do next? Like more so than I had thought before. I guess what I learned was something that I knew, but not the degree. I didn't know it to the degree I learned. Uh, I, I know it now. Um, the other thing was um, I, I need a lot of routine in my life, even if it's something that I don't necessarily like. The more routine I uh, had in my life, the more stable I felt my life was, and the more calm I could be. So even though I don't terribly love working, but I need to be working at least a few days a week just to feel like I'm not useless. Yeah, over just a little I'm, bit. I'm, of that. I'm unemployed at the moment. I had a right. job interview the other day, and okay. the person who was responsible for writing my skill sheet in, yeah. included a whole bunch of things that weren't me on the skill oh. sheet. All right, like my TOEIC score. Really? Okay. So one thing that we can also say is when you turn off the economy and make everybody turn off, when you turn it back on. A whole yeah. bunch of minor errors are going to occur. And so I had an interview at a prominent newspaper company in yeah. town and in Japan, one of the largest distributions in the world. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, why do you have TOEIC scores? And I was like, well, I sometimes teach the TOEIC class, so I looked into it, and I'm not really sure mm -hmm. why it's there. I, I was kind of confused because yeah, right. I thought that the company may have thought I told them that I had some sort of TOEIC score. And then afterwards, right. I'm like, why would I say that? I didn't say that. That's not me. So basically, yeah. the person who is responsible for displaying what I can and cannot do made a total yeah. mistake. And that's probably there's a result of things getting sloppy when you don't keep them yeah. going with the routine that you're talking about. Sure, sure. That yeah. pissed me off so much, by the way. I can imagine, though, especially <laughs> when you're hit in the moment of the, like, you're like... Because then you're like, you're just kind of looking for a way out, uh, a smooth escape from that. And then afterwards, you're like, why the hell did they put me in that? Yeah. And so basically, it's this uh, this younger person who's making this skill sheet. And I was like, why is this person working who is not yeah. really qualified to be working, it seems, trying to work for me? But when they try to work for me, they make mistakes and I can't work. It's like, this is a right. Kafka novel, man. Yeah, yeah. I always try to put um, myself in some sort of dystopia, I guess is what I can say. 
Yeah. Um, well, in general, I think that people are not very skilled at putting themselves in another person's situation. In fact, I think we're getting worse at it. Yeah. I also um, got a haircut and the guy couldn't give me the haircut I wanted. I even went back uh, and he couldn't. Really? Yeah. I wanted like really short sides, but he had it okay. in his mind that I didn't want short sides, even though I communicated <laughs> it and pointed at pictures on my phone and he just yeah. refused to give me this haircut, but he had short sides. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't have a happy life and he's like, you don't want short sides. <laughs> My experience is uh, guy, Japanese hairstylists who are men look at your hair and they see a vision. And yeah. the women that I usually uh, have cut my hair, they, they, I show them a picture and they go, okay, I'll give you that. It's kind of a weird thing. So another lesson is to always have females cut your hair. That's what I try to do. Yeah. In Japan, excuse In Japan, me. Japan, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, I also uh, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> well, hey, why not? Um, yeah. Um, how do you feel like you handle being kind of isolated? We weren't completely isolated, clearly, not the way like the way it was in the states or Italy or anything. But how do you handle that? Well, uh, yeah, uh, podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of conversations. It is a little bit isolating. I joined a Zoom party um, with yeah, a bunch of foreigners yep. and within three minutes, everybody is talking about Trump and mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to talk about Trump. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, basically I just have to kind of go, oh, well, I guess I'm in a very small boat and I'm isolated now. So Shogunai, yeah. what the hell are you going to yeah. do? For me, I found if you if I had a little bit of routine um, in my life, just even just my my daily schedule, studying things like that, I could handle isolation pretty well. Yeah, having a routine and um, putting yeah. quality information in your head, uh, my head was one way to deal with it and just kind of throw my hands up in the air. I'm kind of looking at a large portion of the society. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of diverging from each other. There's a whole bunch of people that just want to read the headlines that appear in the algorithms on their phones in real time and then repeat them mm -hmm. to each other. And I'm kind of mm -hmm. looking at that segment of society and saying, you're on your own. I'm not going to join you, but go ahead. And I'm going to, I'm going to carve out this other path. I'm going over here now. <laughs> You'll be in the fringe. <laughs> yeah. I'll, yeah. But for, for, so it'll be a short period of time. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to ask you actually was, um, uh, what do you think there's going to be a second wave? No, the second okay. wave would have come by now. And one example, and I'm not sure I believe this totally, but if you look at the map of uh, Japan on yeah. the toyokezai.net, which uses mm -hmm. a good data set from the Ministry of Education, Trade, and Industry, mm -hmm. one prefecture in Japan, um, Iwate, has had no cases, none. Wow. And really? if there was going to be a second wave, there would be it would be able to attack this prefecture a second time. But, yeah. um, and most of the prefectures in Japan, except for Hokkaido, um, Tokyo, and some of the major metropolitan areas, most of their cases have dropped to zero since the beginning of May. Yeah. So I, I would, no, I, I, I 100% don't believe that there's going to be a second wave. There was no second wave of SARS. There was no second wave of MERS. There was no second wave of all of these things. They just kind of arrived and then left. Yeah. 
Where's the second wave of the swine flu, of the avian flu, all of these things, you know? There was mm-hmm. no second wave. It just kind of came and it went. Yeah, our our yeah. immune systems are so much more powerful these days than they were 100 years ago that I think we're okay. able to be attacked by these um, sort of alien hybrids, uh, but defend them off. And we've already put a lot of um, preventions in place already, and it's going to take some while to once like um, just those uh, plastic barriers in uh, stores. So I think um, we're not going to just take those down the minute we reopen everything. We're going to leave those up for a while. So that would also reinforce it for sure. Yep. I think everything's just cleaner. So whatever. Yeah, I'm not worried about it. I stopped being worried about it, you know, like a month ago. Um, I even went to the interview without a mask. Oh, wow. Okay. It's <laughs> not a good move. Cause I'm like, yeah. oh, look at the data. It's over. And then I go out <laughs> and everybody is wearing masks and isolating and I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep up the act. Yeah. And, uh, most people are just like, well, we don't want a case here. Cause if we have one case, we have to shut the entire thing down. I'm like, okay, yeah. none of this makes any sense. That's another thing I've learned. Centralized authoritarian um, decisions by people who outside of their expertise leads to death. And so that's why I'm glad um, we don't have a super powerful government in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could look at it that way. There's uh, like a weakness that worked in our favor this time around for sure. Generally speaking. Yeah. Um, Let's play the song and then go into the interview. Um, Can you set it up? Sure. Um, this is a, a band that I have uh, saw the formation of, actually. It's a, a kind of amalgamation of some veteran musicians. Um, there was, the original band was uh, called Code, and it was uh, excellent. They played T's Lounge a few times, great, uh, great instrumentals. And then uh, one of the lead singers uh, that's been playing forever in many bands in Chiba, uh, Jay Ken, uh, formed this band called Midnight Snakes. And um, they're really interesting, really good, great stage performance. And uh, I think the song is called Sister Novocaine.
And that was Midnight Snakes with Sister Novocaine. Uh, this guy actually, Jay actually had one of the best lines on stage in the middle of a performance that I've ever heard. He's He's in the middle of a guitar solo. He takes the neck of the guitar and he puts it in between the um, the barriers, the metal barriers between the stage and the audience uh, standing area. And then he thrusts it back and forth in the middle of the a guitar solo, pulls it out and he goes, thank you, baby. I know that was better for me than it was for you. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, these guys are great. They decided they're just going to reject social media. They're going to bring their music. Uh, they're going to play shows, sell their music. And if you don't have a chance to see it, too bad. Then you missed it. Because I've actually brought a camera to the show and they said, no, don't record it. I don't we don't want any recordings. We, we just want we want it to go. Either you, you buy our, our album or um, you, you see our live show or that's it. You don't you don't see us. So they might just pop up somewhere, do a show, and then disappear again, and you might never find out about them. So if you do see them, I highly recommend seeing them because they're they put on a great show. They do. Midnight Snakes, Jay. Yeah. I've interviewed him on the Matty B files. If anybody's yeah. interested, you can find them. I think he's episode sixty or something like that. All right, we got a call coming in. We got um, uh, Tracy, who is a professional whistler and a. Um, Shakespeare trained uh, thespian. Really, Shakespeare trained. Okay, yeah, from Harvard, I believe. Uh, let's let's challenge her on a few things and uh, see what we can get. Let's go. You ready? All right. Sounds great. Here we go. Oh wait! Before we do that, yeah, I wanted to say. No. Oh, okay. There's new art every week on the podcast, and you can go to the website matthewpmbigelow.com and search it there. You can also do an image search by putting in Japan What Podcast into Google, hit images, and you can see a nice array of cool art. Um, so make sure to do that. Give us a like, a sub, and uh, some feedback on all of your social media platforms. Thank you. Let's go to the call. <laughs> Here we go. All right, and joining us on the blower now is Tracy Echeverry, professional whistler and soon-to-be Harvard Shakespeare certified. Tracy, <laughs> welcome to the show. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's nice to be on here. <laughs> so you're not uh, you're not fucking around when you say you're a professional whistler. I was listening to some of your songs, and <laughs> I couldn't even whistle along. So uh, you're a you're a French horn player as well. Yeah, um, I have my bachelor's in classical music performance um, on on French horn, and I sort of uh, discovered the the talent of whistling at a, at a young age, and I tried to make it into um, sort of a profession, I guess. <laughs> wow, fantastic! Now um, you're working. I was actually curious about this with the whistling that. Um, you're working, I know, uh, the, I checked your, the agency you're working at, uh, Freewave, I believe it is? Um, no, so I, I'm, okay. I'm not going, that, that was actually a goal of mine was to oh. start with them this year. So I oh. put that on there on my Facebook. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I've worked with them. They're pretty good people. But if you haven't worked with them yet, I, I, I won't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, um, I wanted to ask, as far as whistling jobs, 
Um, when you get work in whistling, is it more for like um, like an audio kind of narration performance, or is it about like a character who whistles, like in like in acting, kind of a, a an addition to um, uh, the the main job, but it's not the main job. Um, for whistling, maybe uh, I would do live performances or <laughs> recording for a song, like uh, if there's like an up-and-coming artists or, or or one of my mu musician friends um, that uh, make their own songs maybe they'll have me whistle over it um, just sort of like a background thing but uh, yeah, yeah I mean whistling can be done in sort of uh, any way live performances recordings yeah anything <laughs> I was just thinking that it would be like really good in uh, like for commercials I think yeah definitely yes now, um, Freeway, if I know, is kind of more for modeling, but also does some narration. Have you also um, investigated just like a straight narration agency? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. Um, maybe have you like, maybe check out ArtQuest. They Art might be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, just I uh, was curious about that. If it was more like just strictly voice talent or voice and acting talent for your agency, but okay, cool, thank you. So, yeah, Tra sure. Tracy, why did you want to become a whistler? <laughs> um, it's something that just accidentally happened. Um, <laughs> so, back in 2016, I attended the World Whistlers Convention. Um, I, I knew I was a good whistler, so I wanted to do this competition. And um, I, I saw that there were there were whistlers that were doing it professionally, and I, I didn't I didn't think that so that existed until I until people started handing handing me um, their business cards. <laughs> um, so yeah, I like to compete in competitions and stuff, and I, I think that's where it started. Does being a French horn player, which is a brass instrument, give you an advantage in terms of mouth control and lip control? in the professional whistler environment? I believe so, yes. Um, I, I would say it, it's helped me sort of have a very large range in terms of whistling. Um, and also with classical repertoire, I know a lot because that was my major um, and I can, I can do that with whistling at, at any time. Of course, the theory of, of classical music would be great in or for pitching and, and understanding where notes can go and stuff like that, wouldn't it? Yes. Okay. Now, did when you said to your friends and family that you're going to become a professional whistler, how many of them took you seriously? None of them. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. <laughs> and how about now? Um, I, I think they, they understand that there is a tiny market for it. Um, so, and, and they can see what I can do. I, I think they're more open to the idea now. <laughs> is that the priority? Um, let me ask if they said, okay, here's a, um, full-time role as a, as a French horn player. Would you just go for that? Or would you like kind of continue saying, no, I want to do the professional whistling first? Well, unfortunately, my horn playing career is done. I got injured oh. a few years ago when I, from over practicing. But um, so I'm I'm mainly now focusing on uh, whistling and acting. Wow, um, and uh, I didn't know, but how long have you been in Japan? Uh, I didn't, I couldn't research that. 
I moved to Japan from Korea um, oh. in November. Oh, okay. Um, have you found, I guess it's kind of difficult because of the whole situation that's happened with the, the virus and all, but um, were there more opportunities in Korea versus America versus Japan? Um, how, how was it? How was this um, kind of the job market for it? For whistling in Korea, I didn't do anything really okay. there. Um, in Japan, I've I've been on a few TV shows like You on Anishini Nippone, like that. I've been on that like three times because they really enjoy <laughs> following oh. this random whistler. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So I um, and I've kind of developed like a tiny fan base from that. Um, but uh, in in the U.S. in the U.S. I think there are more opportunities, um, but you have to really um, you have to really push for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I imagine there's just a lot more competition as well as opportunities. Competition, maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe a little bit, but uh, I, I think. Yeah, there's there are more opportunities, I'd say, in the U.S. And also, like, there's there's a language barrier here in Japan for me. Um, my mm -hmm. Japanese is not great, so that probably comes into play a bit. Mm, yeah, yeah, um, it, it can. The agencies, um, there's a lot of agencies that are used to working with foreigners, so um, they can definitely help you with that. Um, I'm actually curious, what is your kind of, do you practice daily? um in order to kind of keep your level up or is it um something that you just uh naturally just can do so basically at the job you're you know you might warm up and you're ready uh i practice maybe every other day but yeah it's something that you should practice regularly in order to keep up your skill level Hmm. And um, I was also wondering, what was the most unusual job that you've worked as a whistler? Hmm. I mean, with like a bunch of construction workers, maybe like. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Uh, that's a that's a great question. <laughs> uh, I did. I I was a part of a, a documentary uh, called The Universal Language. Um, wow. And it, it was about, it's about music, how it affects people positively, I guess. But um, on top of, you know, whistling for that, um, I was also sort of, I was helping promote that a bit. Um, so I think maybe that was the, the weirdest job. It was, um, I had to sort of just pick a song in like one day and, and do it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That was a bit challenging because I wasn't super prepared for it. Um, but I, I can't think of anything crazy, but I would say that. <laughs> so Tracy, you, um, are also willing or are studying to become a, uh, a Shakespeare expert. And the other day, I sent you a Charlie Chaplin clip from one of his later movies in life about um, him being an exiled king. And he's at a dinner party and he gives a presentation of Hamlet's To Be or Not To Be. I'm going to play the clip and then I want to ask you, what do you think about his performance in terms of iambic pentameter, biomic pentameter, and so on? So I'm going to play the clip. Are you ready? Okay. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we are privileged to witness a great historic moment. 
His Majesty King Shardoff has graciously consented to give us Hamlets to be or not to be. Well, there are many ways of uh, playing the soliloquy of a Hamlet. There's the pale, thoughtful, anemic prince. And there's the mad, bombastic one. Uh, which do you prefer? Anything but anemic. Very well. To be or not to be? That is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of trouble and by opposing end them. To die, to sleep, no more. By sleep to say we end the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. It is a consummation devoutly to be wished to die, to sleep, to sleep. Eh, perchance to dream. There's the rub. But who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office and the spurns, the patient merit of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quietest take with a bare bodkin. But who would father spare to sweat and grunt under a weary life? Dread of something after death. That undiscovered country from whose burn no traveller returns. Puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have and then fly to others that we know not of. That's conscience! <laughs> I've forgotten it. Oh, no, no, please go no, on. No, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, and that's the clip. Uh, very entertaining, I thought. Tracy, what is your reaction to this performance as a aspiring Bill certifier person? Yes, Tracy, please criticize one of the most beloved actors of all time. <laughs> um, no, actually, I, I really love <laughs> I really love his performance, just um, especially uh, towards the ends. Like his movements are so sudden that um, it it's funny when he takes people off guard, basically. Um, I I really enjoyed his performance and uh, I think it was brilliant. I mean, it's a, it, he's, he's a classic <laughs> actor, you know? <laughs> yeah, I thought so you too. Know, I thought there was a noticeable lack of whistling in that. So, um, you know, it could have just ended off with a little country road or something like that. And that would have made it so much better. You know what? I agree with you. I yeah. think everything needs a little bit of whistling. Yeah. I, I, what, Matt, what do you think? Um, I, yeah, obviously I agree with you that there's a serious lack of whistling in the Shakespeare performance from a black and white movie of the 1950s. <laughs> and it's odd because in this time period, whistling was one of the top five forms of entertainment globally. You could go to Indonesia, streets of Jakarta, whistling anywhere you go, but not in this Charlie Chaplin movie. Serious oversight, supposed genius, now just a stupid <laughs> idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in the U.S., um, uh, in, in jazz, uh, whistling was used uh, as an instrument for uh, some shows. So um, it, it's it's unfortunate that I guess the the idea of musical whistling is not as prominent anymore. 
But if you want, you can uh, look up Charlie Chaplin whistling scene uh, from City Lights. You know what? I will definitely look that up. Um, <laughs> so uh, why did why are you interested in Shakespeare? Um, I just felt like, you know, as a, since I'm trying to become an actress, uh, I want to learn as much as I can about Shakespeare. But it's a course that I just started recently, so I don't... <laughs> Um, I'm still in the process of learning more about Shakespeare. Mm, okay. Is it, have you, have you, just out of curiosity, have you had a long desire to learn about Shakespeare or is it just now, now that with this COVID-19 thing, you're like, well, now's a good chance to do it. I think in general, I mean, I've, I've always enjoyed Shakespeare, at least what I've sort of touched on in high school. Um, but I wanted to take advantage of this free time I have now and sort of educate myself on Shakespeare. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just trying to take advantage of, of this free time. Um, if you were going to, if you, if you were going to react to this video, this uh, clip I played from, from, from Charlie Chaplin in a whistling form, if you were going to, so if he was on one side of a, of a valley on a cliff doing this soliloquy and you had to whistle your answer to him ac across this chasm, what would, how would you whistle back at him? Hmm. <laughs> it would, uh, it would be something like this. That's so nice. cool. That's amazing. Actually. <laughs> Thank you. That was way better than I thought it would be. I was like, oh, wow. She really, got, she came up with something good. I had a lot to say. Yeah. Well, so, you know, if, you know, if I'm going to be dealing with a pro, I'm going to have yeah. to throw some hardballs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Could I ask, oh, actually, yeah, go um, ahead, Tom. Yeah, this might be a little bit longer. And at the end, of course, we want to he um, hear all your, uh, you know, your links and your social media and how people can reach you. But how do you build your social media presence? And again, as a whistler, as an act, uh, as an actress, um, are you working on it every day or um, is it more you just put out the clips and kind of wait for more people to come and contact you? Um, so... <clears throat> With uh, social media, so I, I mainly use YouTube right now, sometimes Instagram, but um, YouTube, uh, when I have time to create the videos, um, that, that's my main thing. I, I do covers, um, whistling covers of popular songs. Um, and in terms of acting, I'm just starting to uh, build my social media accounts for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it takes it takes a lot of time and uh, it's it's hard to balance all of it, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's great. Oh, actually, one last thing. Have you ever been to have you ever performed at like a live house or like an open mic? Yes, I have. Oh, nice. OK, <laughs> how did it go? I'm curious. Uh, I think I think people are usually pretty surprised. Like a yeah. little shock is is usually on their faces when yeah. I finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I could totally see that. Just nobody expecting and walking in and, and like you know doing a full set and they'd be like, oh, oh my god, like that kind of shocked look on their face. 
Yeah, I remember. I remember. Um, so actually, my, my best friend is a famous jazz vocalist. Her name okay. is Veronica Swift. And uh, she had a gig at Birdland in New York City a while wow. back. And um, she was she was nice to have me like perform uh, on one of their Monday night, uh, like Monday night open mic sessions, I guess. And um, yeah, I did. I did autumn leaves that night. And I remember uh, like I ended up getting a standing ovation from that because um, people it, it's it's sort of this mysterious talent. Nobody really thinks that there's such thing as a professional whistler. And um, I remember doing another festival in uh, in Miami. I, I went to school in Miami. So there, there was this festival going on called the Johnny Mercer Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, competition and uh, a friend of mine asked me to perform her her arrangement of Skylark and mm-hmm. she, she wanted me to sort of improvise over a part of it uh, during this huge performance. It was like a, a, a giant concert hall filled with people. <laughs> My um, but yeah, I remember that that was one of the most memorable experiences I've had as a whistler because after that performance, like I hear people sort of like laughing in the audience, but it, it wasn't like malicious laughter or anything. It was just like shock. <laughs> and after at the end of the performance, another standing ovation, and we ended up earning second place from that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's amazing! That's great. So it's it's taken me. Uh, it's allowed me to have very unique experiences. So we're gonna um, move on here, uh, Tracy. We're gonna play "Beautiful Colorado," your whistling song. Um, can you lead us into the track? Ah, okay. <laughs> um, how so? Oh, just uh, what's the background on it? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so Beautiful Colorado is by Joseph DeLuca, I believe. Um, and it's a euphonium, a euphonium piece. And I was trying to find the perfect classical piece for an upcoming competition about two years ago. And uh, I found this piece on YouTube. And I really, I fell in love with it because it's very lighthearted and I, feel like it was a perfect classical piece for whistling. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Tracy, for joining the podcast. And where can people find you? Uh, YouTube, Insane Whistler and Traveling Whistler for Instagram. Awesome. All right. Send me those links and I'll make sure to post them in the show notes. And if you want to do any open mics, let us know. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, I would love to do open mics. (laughs) All right, Tracy, take care. You too. Bye. Donate to the Japan What Podcast by going to paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT.
All right, and that was Beautiful Colorado, uh, sung to us by Tracy. Um, Evercelli? Echeverry. Echeverry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. See how I'm no. terrible at that? It's an intimidating name. I noticed that. Like, we asked her a few times beforehand, and then I look at it, and I'm like, it's, you take it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Thank you, Tracy. She was for lovely. She was actually, so, what a sweetheart. Yeah. And we got some uh, Charlie Chaplin and Shakespeare in there too, which is yeah. I watched that clip a few times a year, by the way. It's hilarious. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'll include it in the show notes for those wanting to go to MatthewPMBigelow.com. Uh, all right, Sue, so, uh, Tom, you're a bit. Of, you're. I've noticed that you're on a bit of a, a Twitter tear recently. It's uh, it's on your mind. It's in your questions. I asked uh, Tracy. Yeah. Asked <laughs> Tracy. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm more of a creative person, but you're more on the business side of things. So that's where your interest lies or lays or lay lies. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, I think part of it also comes from the fact that I see a lot of people and I was there in that boat myself where it's it's they're talented and they're expecting someone to kind of take them across that path where it's like, they, okay, we'll introduce you to everyone. We'll network for you. And I don't think that exists anymore. I no. think that exists for a very rarefied few. Like, um, and, uh, nowadays, like I think. Rogan. <laughs> no, well, come on now. He, he started, he'd been doing that for more than 10 years Deep, and it wasn't. Deepy. <laughs> so if we focus on this now and maybe in 10 years we'll have maybe you know two or three more followers no uh, but i i think that um if you're not doing it yourself i i have to say like i've been focused on this for about a little more than a month's time and i've noticed like dramatic a dramatic change in um just by working on social media every day and just in particular Twitter. So um, I've been working on three main uh, focal points. One was Molise. One was this the podcast. The alt-rock band. That the is... alt-rock band that we've played a few times before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah thank you. Yeah. You and, um, yeah, you're right. And um, one is Tease Lounge, uh, the, one of my local hangouts that I've worked with, like organizing shows for maybe the last eight, eight years or so. And I've talked about also on this show. So the idea is kind of, and what's the third one? Well, a tease lounge, the tease lounge in the show. I oh, said the show. Okay. Yeah, sorry Japan about that. Okay. Right. No, Japan no worries. Podcast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my ideas was, was kind of to build up all of them and maybe have them kind of, um, also help support each other because there's a lot of crossover between, both the the venue and the band and and this podcast, which we use to promote in general a lot of music. Uh, so with Molise, it's easiest because they have the most content. They have uh, like seven al studio albums worth of material with videos and everything. So um, regularly, I'm just uh, maybe a hundred people a day. I'm I'm looking up up and following, and um, and just taking followers from some like a band that has a relate uh, sorry a relevant sound or um something sort of some sort of fan twitter account for japanese rock and in a, a little more than a month i was able to get like about 850 new followers for the most yes wow that's a lot yes. And um, in that also, they three people, uh, there were three reaction videos made for their songs and two radio DJs uh, contacted me about playing their music. Like, 
like a noticeable difference. Yeah, that's significant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actionable insights. Yeah. And it was just by like picking, researching a bit and doing, getting a hundred and following a hundred new people every day. Wow. It, it made a difference. Now they had a bit of a following, so that helps. Um, with somebody, something that's kind of newer, it's a little bit harder. Like I found with this podcast, we had, um, I've been able to get it up to about, um, 190 followers. That's cool. Yeah. But it's a little harder because it's hard to find a similar, a podcast that's similar to this one. Like we're kind of, we're very eclectic. We cover a large range of topics. It's not so much a travel podcast. It's a little bit of a life in, but it's also indie music. It's also AI. So it's fewer people will follow back from that. Um, at first, uh, you know, the people that we all knew in music would follow and it, it went up, it ramped up a bit, but afterwards it's a lot harder to find new followers. I have noticed that, um, in addition, if I used to teach somebody who was followed by Masayoshi Son, who has the largest Twitter account in Japan and only follows okay. about 50 people. And I oh, was wow, asking okay. him about, and he's a, he's a, he's a big data manager. And so yeah. he's won numerous awards for innovations in big data management. And right. he told me that Facebook is designed to build groups inside of your community and yeah. Twitter is used to build groups outside of your community. Yeah, totally and believe so that. so if you are um, using English in Japan, it's going to be harder to find that community. It's, it's right. And then the Twitter algorithms are going to pick up on what's happening with the Japanese hashtags due to location services and things like that. Yeah. So in an area like Twitter, we're at a, a, a much steeper learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. And I found the biggest, um, follows and reaches were always about, um, tweeting out the music that we played on the show. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, but still it's making some headway and I feel like after we reach a certain level of followers, it'll get easier. Um, tease lounge was actually easiest because all you have to do is follow the followers of other musical venues in the same location. And that's not hard to research. It's hard to, basically it's hard to kind of put us into uh, this podcast into a category, like um, a well-defined category with a lot of followers or a lot of people that are kind of interested in that one group or one genre. And that's why it's so hard to get people to come into this. It's like, oh, it's a little bit of many things. Yeah. I kind of consider it more like a lifestyle variety show. Yeah. Um, rather than we are the one thing doing this thing that's this thing, you know? Yeah, like we've kind of strived not to do that. We're not giving, like we've always said, like the the 10 hottest places to visit in Shibuya or something like that. We don't want to be an advertisement. Right, right, yeah. I mean... I like this open dialogue, different topics kind of thing. So we'll get... Well, okay, that's interesting. What's So what's the main takeaway from the research, Tom? Well, um, is... Th- Kind of the better you can define yourself and the better you can find similarly produced services or products, the easier it is. Um, A really key thing that I didn't realize is once you have – you followed 5,000 people, you have to start unfollowing them to get new followers because they hit that limit and they say, nope, you can't follow anyone else. Okay. Yeah. Um, And – 
Following, you have to be careful with as well. If you do it too fast, they think you're a bot. Um, and I haven't had anybody that's really, I don't know, really annoyed or anything that's like uh, that I've been bothering or anything. But I suppose that could happen if you're too persistently uh, promoting or sending too many messages at once. Yeah, I I can see that uh, where the person that you're trying to follow or promote or retweet mm -hmm. might begin to think, is this person kind of getting too close to me? You know, so yeah, yeah. So think, just every once in a while, General uh, Robert Spalding the Third might have thought that about me. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> For me, I don't try to get the most retweets or, or likes or comments. I try to get yeah. a reaction from somebody I respect, and then that's that's my goal there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, big thing. Once somebody follows you, make sure you have um, you PM them with your information. I mean, don't do much, don't do a lot more than that, but at least where they can find out more about you. That's a really big thing that I think a lot of people don't do. Oh, interesting. So that's fine. Yeah, just one. Okay. So uh, like Melissa's uh, latest music video, um, I'll send them saying, thank you. If you like this, check this out. And that's it. Like not much more than that. And those are the issues. So... Uh, that's really interesting information and pretty concrete and detailed. And I think the main takeaway is yeah. the reason why you're talking about it and bringing it up is people need to understand that they need to do this themselves. And if they don't, yeah. nobody's going to do it for you because everybody is doing it for themselves anyways. Yeah. You just get swallowed up. If you're not, if you don't have a major label backing you up, no matter how good you are, you're probably going to get, um, People are just, you have like a, a fraction of a second to get people's attention and it's gone. Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. You. It's a good tuna, but I think I paid too much. <laughs> uh, did you want to move yeah. on to yeah. future projects or do you want to go into the Corona tourism? The future projects are, will be like a, a, a minute. I okay. won't even. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to start helping uh, Andrew Holtby. He um, now hosts a, a live show that um, it's half concert, half interview. And um, they're going to be doing one next. Uh, it's going to be at Infinity Books, which is a, a small bookstore that also has live acoustic events. Um, and it's uh, in, what is it, Asakusa. And I'm going to help him with the next one. If it goes well, I'll help him with the next. Uh, I'll, I'll continue with him. I'll be taking the place of Mickey Acorn, um, who uh, we've interviewed before as a Chiba-based Canadian musician and also works for uh, Sen City Records. All right. Well, good luck with and that. Then, and then um, Tease Lounge, I'm going to start holding a uh, late-night indie music night where it's just we only play the music mainly from uh, indie bands here in Tokyo and then some global ones as well. Oh, is this like a live show or like a DJ no, playlist? No, like a DJ show because I know so many bands, um, most of them have broken up that had at least one fantastic single. And it was just one of those things where it got swallowed up. No, They had a second to get everyone's attention and nobody, and they didn't take advantage of it. But it's a good song. That's so I've been idea. curating those, yeah, for, for 10 years. And I'm just going to maybe weekly or biweekly um, um, routine, a daily schedule. I'm going to 
start playing those. Oh, that sounds good. A lot of the times people want to listen to live, or listen to good indie music, but they don't want to go to shows. I'm, I'm almost like that type of person. And I have been for yeah. our, almost a decade where if you go to a show, it's, it's a very different experience than just sitting down at a bar with some people listening to tunes. So that sounds cool. It's di- yeah. It's different commitments. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good luck with that. Thank you. Um, we're going to move on to a couple of news topics, and then that'll probably be it for the rest of the day for today. Uh, looking at the effects of the COVID, one thing that we can look at is tourism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Got really hurt. Got really hit bad. The coronavirus is taking a massive toll on Japan's tourism industry. The number of foreign visitors plunged to a few thousand in April, compared with about 2.9 million a year earlier. Only 2,900 people visited in the month. That's the lowest number since tracking started back in 1964. Pretty crazy, huh? Few thousand. That's amazing. From that's, a few million uh, to a few thousand. Yeah, yeah. That's a man. That some kind of that economic impact, especially in the in the, you know, the a matter of a couple months that happening. That's uh. That's you're going to feel that impact for a. a some time to come. Yeah. And it goes to where I was saying earlier, where you just turn it off, turn the economy off and turn it back on. All these little errors happen. A whole bunch of those. Yeah. yeah, The, the ripple effects will spread out into people's pocketbooks that we have no way of understanding yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then this next one as well is about the exports. Okay, let's listen. Japan's exports tumbled in April as the pandemic continues to affect global demand. The drop was the biggest in 10 and a half years. Data released by the finance ministry on Thursday shows overall Japanese exports plunged by 21.9% compared to the same month last year. U.S. and European bound shipments, especially cars, contributed to the slump. Overall Japanese imports slipped as well, declining 7.2%. As a result, Japan's trade balance fell into the red for the first time in three months. And then that's another one. So we have inbound and outbound um, economics of very different scales being affected the same way. And uh, earlier we were kind of saying, what have we learned or what what did we look at? For the future, I'm looking at these types of um, supply chain-based economics being massively negatively affected from this COVID. It's not going to be the health effects will be based on the economic uh, negative in- economic impact on everybody's pocketbooks and way of living. Yeah. But um, it is, it's kind of hitting everyone globally across the board. So isn't it more important now of how you rebound from it um, than, because like everybody's been hit by this. This is something that could not be avoided. Yeah, like, exactly. So, so now it's more like how how are you ready to release once the market is opened again? How do you relaunch everything? How do you reboot and avoid all those little errors that like like at the job interview that you went to? Yeah. So we need. I would say my evaluation is you have to be really aware of what's happening on the back end of things, not the yeah. front end of things. The back end mm-hmm. of things. Uh, how how the how the restaurants and medical facilities. Um, are getting their uh, goods sent to the storage units and things mm-hmm. like that. And those people as well, are they being paid enough? Are they being paid overtime? Is there enough people? Are they trying to automate it in an area where we're not ready for automation due to disruption and mm-hmm. things like that? So I'm looking at things like that for my future predictions regarding the effects of uh, moving forward. 
Yeah, yeah. There's so many little factors that could affect it. I mean, I mean, just look at Japan versus the U.S., you know. Um, I was looking at a post again from a different a guest from a previous podcast, Mike Rogers, the, the the DJ from, you know, formerly from Inner FM, now from the Mike Rogers show. And he was saying that, uh, you know, the U.S., uh, Japan has half the population of uh, the states and had, what, less than one percent of the fatalities. Like, yeah, the fatalities it was are all, also being um, tabulated differently as well, where – in yeah. uh, America, some guy has his name written down as being killed by coronavirus, but in yeah. fact, he was murdered in his car and had yeah, coronavirus. Yeah. yeah. So that type of and, shenaniganism is going on in a higher degree in the United States due to mm-hmm. corruption in the supply chains uh, of, of the medical facilities and the way that they're rewarded and, and so on. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even if you adjusted it and said, like, if you made like a gross overstatement that... um. Japan was underreporting by 10, you know, 10 times, which is not true. But if even that it compared to it would be still like 16% of of uh what the US uh, suffered actually from it. And nobody has one uh, main reason for it. It's just a, like a multitude of tiny reasons that all kind of culminated to that that one tragedy. Yeah. Um, you know, like People's health, people's lifestyle, the way people interacted with each other, people's stress levels, the way people fought each other, the, the way they politicized it. There were so many little things and it was all the devil being in the details. Exactly. So um, if people are interested in uh, moving forward, then, uh, oh, we forgot to talk about Interlocked with Tracy. Ah, sorry, Tracy. Yeah, uh, we'll check bring out, it up though. We'll yeah. bring it up. Check out Tracy's uh, web series, uh, Interlocked. Uh, it'll be included in the show notes. So there we go. Yeah. I will tweet it out for sure. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, that's going to be it for today. Anything to add, Tom? Um, I would say, uh, oh, okay. Uh, just really quickly, uh, Infinity Books and uh, what the Dickens uh, are raising funds um, by uh, selling their drink tickets. So if you want to support those two very worthy musical venues in Tokyo, buy their tickets. Drink bonds. Um, ca- um, Cafe Chesme is selling uh, merchandise. They're going to stay closed an extra month just to be safe. So if you would, they have some great um, T-shirts and long sleeve shirts. Um, you can go there to... I think they're on bonfire.com. If you wanted to support them, please uh, purchase their merchandise. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe, leave a comment, check out MatthewPMBigelow.com. Again, we are a very minor podcast in an English language um, setting, in a Japanese environment. So anything you can do to help us out really helps us out a lot. Anything at all. Liking, sharing, spread the links, the dog don't hunt if it's on a leash. We thank you for your support and um, next month will be a brave new world. So get ready, people. Get ready indeed. Stay I always wear my mask and wash my hands after going home.